yeah, once I realized this was a thing, we mainly started with events and then the events turned into private tours and the private tours turned into public tours. And so it's just grown pretty, pretty organically. Hi, my name is Kara Myers and welcome to the Travel Business Lounge. Each week, I chat with women who have built incredible businesses in the travel and tourism industry. You'll hear their inspirational stories of success. We went from 2,000 a month to about 70, 72,000 a month um, in that span of, of nine years. And struggle. I wish that I could tell you that I pivoted really quickly and like jumped back on my feet and I, I did it. And what they learned along the way. Give yourself the grace of knowing that it's not going to happen overnight and you're going to make a ton of mistakes. And as long as you learn from them and move forward, that's okay. So grab a coffee, hit subscribe, and get ready to learn and feel inspired. Hello, hello. My name is Kara Myers, and this is episode 21 of the Travel Business Lounge, the place where we celebrate and learn from female entrepreneurs in the travel industry. Today's episode is such a long time in the making. I'm joined by Caitlin Calagera, who is the founder of A Tour of Her Own, which is a tour company I've known about for several years now. The reason being, Caitlin's company is based in Washington, D.C., which is where I got my start in tourism 10 years ago. And so we have a lot of friends in common, and many of them were reaching out to me, encouraging me to get in touch with Caitlin to learn more about her business. And I'm so glad that they pushed for that to happen. Candon, you might remember from episode one, she's my very good friend who's one of the owners of Free Tours by Foot. She was a huge proponent for Caitlin and I getting in touch. And also Becca, thank you very much for helping to make that connection because Caitlin and I never actually met. I left DC before she arrived, but I was so excited to finally talk to her and get to know more about her business because not only do we have loads of friends in common, but she has a fascinating business model. A Tour of Her Own is the first tourism company in Washington, D.C. to focus specifically on women's history, which of course makes me love it from the get-go, but even more so because rather than just run standard fee-based tours, A Tour of Her Own offers events and a membership program for those interested in attending their tours and events on an ongoing basis. A Tour of Her Own or Toho offer what they call the lineup, which is a public tour program of four different women's history and cultural events each month. So for example, just looking at the schedule for this month, they have a live tour of Secret Gardens in Washington, D.C. And they also have a virtual salon, salon, I don't know how you would pronounce it, it's a French word, uh, which is a live book interview with the tour guide tell-all team. And then they have another live event, which is a creative collective pop-up holiday market. And then finally, they also offer a virtual tour of historic call boxes. So as you can see, it's a mix of virtual events and in-person events. And they don't just include tours, but it's all focused on this niche of women's history and women's culture within Washington, D.C., and when talking to Caitlin, she revealed that most of her customers are locals. So I think this is an especially interesting episode considering the times we're in when people are less likely to travel. Obviously, you know, things are 
opening up, you know, to an extent with this new variant, but still things have improved travel-wise from last year, but still people are less likely to travel now than they were in years past. So I think a lot of tour companies are trying to figure out how to attract locals. And so this episode is great because one, it introduces this completely new business model that I've never seen any other tour company do. And it also shows how you absolutely can attract locals as a tour company on a regular basis. Because I think that's the challenge with going after the local market as a tourism company is a lot of people worry that there are only so many times a local can attend one of your tours before they've exhausted them all. And in this situation, Caitlin shows how her business is bringing reoccurring customers, local customers on their tours throughout the year. So really fascinating interview. Caitlin's a lovely person and I'm excited to dive right in. Just one last thing before we do. As I've mentioned in the last few episodes, if you're enjoying listening to this podcast, please, please consider leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts or just subscribing to this show. And of course, spreading the word in any way you can, sharing with friends, family, every little bit is appreciated. But now let's get right into the episode. Here is Caitlin Caligara of A Tour of Her Own. All right. Hello, Caitlin. Welcome to the Travel Business Lounge. I'm very happy to have you here to have this chat. Uh, One, to get to know you because I've heard loads about you, as I was just saying off the recording. Uh, We've got lots of friends in common and just to hear more about your business. So yeah, thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank you for hosting me, Kara. I look forward to our conversation and talking all things travel and business. Perfect. So let's get right into it. Tell me a little bit about your background, how you got into tourism, how you came to DC, and how you came up with the idea of a tour of her own. My background isn't exactly, you know, one path. I I would say I didn't uh, always plan on this, but it certainly is where I was meant to end up. My background actually is in women's athletics. So I was a softball coach for quite some time. I grew up playing sports. And with that, I had a really several opportunities to travel. So I learned a lot of things in in both of those experiences. Sports teaches discipline and teamwork and community and competitiveness. Traveling, you know, offers perspective and curiosity. And so my other, I think, relevant background here is my bachelor's degree in history, which doesn't particularly focus on women's history. It's sort of broad, and I covered a lot of different topics and and time periods. But now, as president and founder of A Tour of Her Own, I've really blended all of those different experiences into the work that we do. Right. And did you move to DC with the intention of starting a tour company, or did that happen after you were already living there? I moved to D.C. with the intention of getting into history. I just didn't know exactly what it was. But there's really no shortage of opportunity in Washington, D.C., which is why I love the city so much. So I assumed that I might be working for a Smithsonian or in a museum or or, or something along those lines. And then I came... I came into tourism and I started learning really what this industry was all about. And it had matched up with a lot of, again, my experiences. And and early on, I was on the back end of tourism. So I was working in airports and I was working sort of like answering emails and doing a lot of 
risk management, like people that were having issues. And so that gave me the tools, I think, to start a business. But I, that wasn't my next step. If anyone knows, you know, the tour guiding world, we work fairly independently. We're contractors, we're freelancers. And so for, for most of my early career, that's what I was doing. I was contracting work out to other companies. I was very much in the field with the more experience I got. I was sharing history and going to different sites and on tour buses and all of that. But there was just more I wanted to do with this work. And I felt the timing and the opportunities available to me were really just the next direction for me to not only start my own business, but acknowledge what was happening in the world and the relevance of sharing women's history at this point in time. And did you see that, or did you feel like there was just a lack of women's history in the tours that were being offered by other companies? And you thought, hey, this is where I can step in and and really shine? Absolutely. There is a lack of women's history and representation across the board. There, I want to, you know, I want to be clear in that other tour companies have offered women's history, but it might be a tour here or a tour there. And the way that we differ is that this, it's in our entire entire ecosystem. We not only have one tour, we have multiple tours. It is the sole focus of our work and our services and our offerings. So beyond the actual, you know, small tour operators and even the large tour operators, there's just lack of representation in public spaces. If you think of statues and you think of things maybe a little bit more subtle, the, you know, names of buildings, which are traditionally for men, names of parks, just, just across the board. Here in DC, you know, it's easy to sort of get in a routine of going to the same sites. And often they talk about presidents or wars or great men, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Martin Luther King. And, you know, I thought, well, we have to start telling a full history and we have to be creative with how we're going to do that because it's not right there out in the open. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think Washington, D.C. is a really interesting city to be a guide in because obviously it has a local history and that's really important, but it also has a national history. And the fact that women are so forgotten in a lot of these conversations, it becomes quickly apparent, but is for whatever reason, not reconciled. So it's amazing that you're stepping in there and being like, hey, we've done awesome things throughout history. Let's talk about it. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it's been a really interesting journey for myself and my team of tour guides because in the beginning it was supposed to be sort of interpretive. You know, I thought, okay, well, certainly we can stand at the George Washington Monument and talk about First Lady Martha Washington. And what we actually have discovered over time is that women's history is in a lot of places. It's just hidden. It's in the corners. It's in the crevices. You really have to, you have to be someone, an experienced traveler or a local, to be quite honest with you, to to have that eye and be able to identify that. And then I think also, because you you just mentioned this and I I thought it was really worth noting. Yeah, women have done really great things and and we want to honor them. But also, you know, women have carried a lot of our nation's darker moments and stresses and traumas and just have contributed in ways that have that should be recognized as being difficult and being challenged right not only that women did great things and they were the first to do this and the first to do that but we are also resilient and that we can overcome just as much as men 
and other folks, no matter how you identify, in our nation's history. So we try to draw both 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 sides of the of the picture, good and bad. Absolutely. I love that. And I'm fascinated. How do you do your research? Because if you're you say that it's so nuanced and you first approached it as, well, maybe I can talk about the first ladies, but it's so much deeper than that. How how do you go to those depths? This is a question I think if you ask any historian or tour guide, they'll they'll probably not be able to stop talking about it. Because <laughs> um, it's sort of that rabbit hole, right? You you start one place and it takes you to another place. And I think in terms of tourism, that's true both practically and kind of metaphorically. You, you, The thing with women's history, we don't have examples and foundation from where to start. Everyone starts kind of in a new place. And it's not like we learned it in school. It's not like you have some some basic knowledge. Some people do, but for the most part, we don't. So just the starting point differs. It's kind of exciting because you're not making any assumptions. You're not, you don't have these biases necessarily in your head. It's kind of a a blank canvas in which you can follow that whichever direction you want. So I think with us, we do identify, our team identifies as public historians, which is somewhere for people that might not understand what a public historian is. We fall somewhere between people that are very committed to academia and their professors and sort of maybe on the college level. But you know, we all have these kinds of backgrounds. And so we know how to do proper research and all of that. So it could just start on the computer books. To be honest with you, in tourism, a lot of us talk to each other and we share research and we connect the dots. And so that that's a, a major part of it. And then physically speaking, you know, you can go to one site and it'll say dedicated to or, or whatever, and then you'll find another site that is somehow related to it. And so the places start to match up and you can start to blend stories from different time periods and, and whatnot. So research is a major, it's, it's, really, it's just really significant in the work that we do and we don't take it lightly. It's, it's the first step for everything. Yeah. And I know when I was a tour guide, that was my favorite part of the job. Like I love, you know, talking to people, sharing the stories. That was great. But being, being essentially paid, eventually paid to have to do that research. It was like, this is amazing. This is the best kind of job you could have. And I would imagine that researching women's history, I don't know, for someone who I minored in women's studies. So I love learning about women's history, women's culture. I think that would be just so, so rewarding. So but I'm curious to go back to the beginning, really. You've got this idea. You've obviously got the background. You've studied history. You've got a keen interest and you're a good researcher, but you're also building a business. How did you approach that part of your tour company at the start? It's a hard question to answer because it's been such a long journey and we're three years in now. But one of the most important things for me was that I had a community of people surrounding me and this idea because I didn't really want to be in on it alone. I felt I thought that we needed to bring different diver- diverse voices to women's history. I didn't want it to just be mine. I wanted other tour guides to be able to contribute and I also wanted to be able to train other tour guides to continue, you know, sharing this work in our everyday commentary. So that's really kind of where I started. I I, I sought out to build a team and it's changed a little bit over the years, but there's definitely some sort of original Toho tour guides that are still working side by side with me today. And, and, and I just took it from there. And then really how the business operates is 
now there are several tour guides who do a lot of the research and content development and lead the tours, which means I've sort of taken on this back end role, which I also never intended, but it has to be done. And I'm learning, you know, a lot in that process. So yeah, once I realized this was a thing, we mainly started with events. I wanted a lot of people in the same room sharing their enthusiasm for women's history. And then the events turned into private tours and the private tours turned into public tours. And so it's just grown pretty, pretty organically. And all in that process is was just really me, okay, figuring out what, what paperwork has to be submitted and how do I actually establish myself as either an LLC, which we are, or something more or less, and what kind of insurances and all that, and how do we promote and just all those things have come to me little by little along the way. I, I never, honestly, I knew it would all happen, but I never planned it too specifically in the beginning. I'm curious, you said you started with a team of tour guides. Were you writing and researching the tours yourself and then handing them off to guides who would then lead them or were they doing their own tours? How does that work? It's a really good question. I basically give the tour guides freedom to do whatever they want. And I think it works best that way. I always hesitated about having scripts and handing them over because I think what's important in how I view history and how I view events and connection is that there's has to be an element of emotion and passion and like genuineness that comes to it. And so I wanted our guests to feel that from our tour guides, not that they were just regurgitating information because that's how we've gotten into this whole mess of not of repeating just the same stories over and over again. But I really wanted them to bring their interests to our events and be proud of that and be able to not only represent a tour of her own, but represent themselves as essentially independent public historians with a, a particular niche. So, I mean, over the years now, we've rotated through over a dozen tours, some more popular than, than others, but most of the time it's independent guides saying, I have a great idea. I want to do a tour about the first ladies, right? Great. Okay, go for it. I, and and now we're at a point where we have a second tour guide that can do a first ladies tour and it'll be entirely different than the other one because there's no shortage of first ladies history and they have different interests and stuff. So really, you know, it's been a benefit to me personally in that I kind of can trust my team. I do trust them uh, an immense amount to deliver this content. And again, that allows me to do a lot more, not only sort of the business, boring business stuff, but, you know, creating strategic partnerships and doing more, more outreach and things that can really help us elevate ourselves. So I actually having, I have led some tours myself, some private tours and some special ones, but for the most part, I, I do pass that on to a lot of my colleagues. Right. Interesting. Could you explain a little bit more about what you mean when you said that you got started with events? Because I don't really associate a tour with an event, so I'm wondering how it how it interplays there. We've had three or four major events. It's become sort of an annual tradition at this point, and each of them a little bit different from the other, but for the most part, they're full-day events where our guests can build their own itinerary. So we've offered six tours on one day, all throughout the day at different times. 
We've offered, uh, we've had special uh, guest speakers come in and talk about the books that they've written or the work that they do in women's history. Maybe it crosses over with tourism, but it's not exactly the same. So it's given us an opportunity to collaborate with other businesses and organizations. As the event has developed, we were adding vendors as well. So people, you know, they would come and a lot of people would take two or three tours in one day. And in between, they would stop the vendors and buy candles. And this was also our way of supporting local small businesses and making sure that the the sustainable piece of what we're doing doesn't just stay in tourism, but it goes back to makers and creators. And we've even, you know, added happy hours at the end of these events. So people can participate any which way they want to, because I always say that our, our tours and our experiences should be three things. They should be approachable, relatable, and transformative. The first thing I want is for people to show up and, and feel welcome and feel open coming into this space. History is a hard, people get turned off by it. There's dates and there's names. And, and I mean, I, I get it. Like it's, it could be off-putting. And I want people to come into a space and feel like, oh yeah, I do, I do belong here. Even if I get one or two things from this experience, like I'm good. And truthfully, when you start adding in happy hours and cool products, you know, people feel better about history because now it's fun and now it's things that are relatable, right? You have those things at home or you've seen those people before. And then I, like I said, transformative, just really giving people an opportunity to walk away with an experience that's changed them, moved them, inspired them. And believe it or not, while I, as much as I love our tours and I know that our stories are just amazing and brilliant, a lot of the transformation also comes from sharing the experience with other people. Being on a tour with, with someone you're good friends with or you're related to, or making new friends on the tour because you both had a similar reaction to something. And, and so for me, that's the community element that I just continue to bring back into a tour of her own. That's so interesting. I've never heard of another tour company taking that approach. And I think it's brilliant. So you sell like a day package for an event and it includes however many number of tours and maybe a speaker and a a visit to in drinks and et cetera. So it's just like a package deal with all these different things included. We, we've tried it several ways. We've tried it sort of a la carte sort of package. Some, I think one time the ticket, you know, came with a signed book. And so there's all different ways to do it. Honestly, that was one of the hard parts for me was just figuring out how to package that. Cause we, you know, you also want to be accessible to folks who maybe aren't in a position to, put out a lot of money, but you also were very niche. So we, we do have a kind of a high end appeal to us. And that's definitely been one of my struggles, but I think we've done a really good job ba- balancing that and offering things that people can, can really, you know, take advantage of within their own means. Yeah. Do you have mostly individuals booking with you for these events or do companies or groups book on, or is it a mix? In the beginning, it was mostly individuals. And as we grow, we're definitely moving into different spaces. We have a lot of groups booking with us. And those groups are typically corporate groups, women's groups. So think like Daughters of the American Revolution. Think corporate groups that are coming to Washington, D.C. for a certain conference or convention or event. And it's either focused 
in in women's history and women's leadership, which is often true, but also it's often uh, not true. It's just folks that honestly, we had like a group that was here for technology a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, yeah, I, I don't know a lot about technology history. I'm sorry. <laughs> like I can try to weave that in with women's stories, but it's going to be a challenge for me. And they just said, it doesn't matter. We just want to diversify what we know. We know about tech. We do what you do and tell us about women's history. And so we've had great success with, I think, those sort of corporate groups and women's groups. But I think we also appeal to locals. And, you know, locals are seeing the city with brand new eyes now. You know, they they really haven't heard the stories or seen their backyard in this way. And I think I'm super proud of that, to have a local on tour and said, I've walked past this 10 times, you know, every month since whatever I lived here and I just never knew that. And so I think we have a really diverse clientele. Interesting. Yeah. I remember I've had locals on some of my tours before. And on one hand, it was very satisfying telling them something they didn't know, but it was also absolutely nerve wracking (laughs) (laughs) because I wasn't from DC and felt a little bit put on the spot. But no, I completely, completely agree. How did you get your first guests booked on to those first few events? How are you promoting yourself? When I think back, I was a bit relentless and, and extremely <laughs> persistent. Like it was just really important to me and that we have the people at our events to make the room feel warm and welcome and for our tour guides to know that the work they were putting into it was seen and appreciated. So, you know, I think every business does this to a degree. At first, you're just reaching out to everybody you know. Hey, I did this thing. Can you come? Will you support me, please? And I think we got a ton of support from local DC people who are kind of in our personal circles, but also the broader tourism community. We had a lot of tour guides who were showing up to, to learn, to support us, who were, you know, sharing our messages, who were echoing our, our statement when we launched and and all this stuff. But beyond that too, I'm always surprised, um, early on and now how people were just sort of finding us and they were so excited about the idea that they immediately signed on. And, um, and I think that that's been great over time. We've really relied on word of mouth and I think that that's worked best for us. And over time I've just kind of tested out new things like, you know, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, things like that. But I think at the end of the day, word of mouth and just strategic partnerships not only help bring clients to our events and to our tours, but it gives us a, some credibility, which I find to be really important. You know, I've been I've been very hesitant to blast our tours out on sort of third party websites and people that will help you fill them, because I know a lot of the time your branding gets lost in that. Now people all of a sudden are booking with X, Y, and Z, and they've never even come across your name, a tour of our own, or your logo or anything like that. And so I I hold our, our marketing kind of really close and personal to me in that I want people to know our story. I want people to know who I am. I want people to put the face of our tour guides, you know, with, with the kind of tour they're getting, but you know, that's, things are always changing. And as we grow, we have to kind of grow with it, but, but that's where my, my marketing kind of lies. Interesting. Yeah. I was going to ask you if you used any OTAs to, to book tours with, and so, so far you haven't really focused on that. 
it hasn't been a priority. I, I've dabbled a little bit, but no, mostly email campaigns, showing up in person. I'm a very people person. Well, I like to just be alone at home to watch Netflix. Don't get me wrong, but uh, like I, that's how I recharge. And then when I go out, I just really like to engage with people. And I think when you show up, you it's just has been wildly surprising what kind of opportunities come when, again, you're face to face with someone in such a, I mean, it's, you know, not surprising to anyone. We live in such a digital era, which has its benefits, but I think it also speaks to the truth and power of in-person interactions and how precious and genuine and some sometimes kind of rare that they are. So I take advantage of that. Yeah, that's really refreshing to hear because it's for most tour companies that I talk to, especially those that are just getting started, feel like going down the OTA route is the only way to build their business and to get clients on, especially early on. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, in my opinion, but it's just really nice to hear that you can do it in a different way and also be really, really successful. And that in-person interaction is <laughs> still a solid way to go about it. Yeah, I think it's really just important to understand who you are and what you're doing. You know, I, I have had several conversations recently and through the course of the company's history with my my tr most trusted colleagues. And one of the things is like, you know, yeah, we're a tourism company, but we fall at the intersection of like activism and education and culture. And there's a there's a mix there that I think we have been able to tap into we have, I've always meant for us to be super uh, like hyper local in the DC market. And so that's just where my efforts have, have been. So it's made sense to us to focus in on that. I don't know, you know, to your point, if, I don't know, someone that's doing like outdoor rafting and hiking tourism, if they can do it the same way, you know, I don't know. I just, um, I know there are people and companies in DC that rely on OTAs and you know, it's something we might end up doing in the future. But, but at the end of the day, you should have to ask yourself as a business owner, like, who do you want relationships with? You know, I want to know my community. I want to support my community. I, it's not that I don't want the international traveler to come in, take a tour once and we never see them again. I mean, that that's a, a fine experience as well, but you just really have to ask what you want for your company and for yourself, like what kind of person and leader are you and, and, and where will you tap into that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really, really good advice. I'm also very curious about your membership program. I read a little bit about it on your website and I'd love to hear more. Our membership program is, we're celebrating the one year anniversary this, this month, our October, November. We launched in November, 2020. Uh, it was in the works several months before that. And it felt like one of the final steps in creating this system of sustainability that I always wanted. And I'd say that it's been quite successful um, over the past year. And I also would say that it's something that other tour operators haven't really done. And so it's been a learning experience for us. The whole idea with the membership is, you know, we have different paid membership levels. So a basic membership, we have a virtual membership, and we have a trailblazer. So based on your membership, you get different access to our program. So for instance, trailblazer members have free unlimited access to live and virtual events for an entire calendar year. Virtual members will have, you know, free 
unlimited access to virtual events and then they'll get discounts on on our on our live things right so this came about i think primarily because we were you know pivoting from covid we were really thinking about how to move forward in a way that wasn't just going to be temporary but was going to be long term we were trying to really measure who our audience was who was committed to the work that we were doing we wanted to really take the time and opportunity to listen to our most trusted audience and and hear what they wanted and ultimately it just gives people a chance to really i think dive deeper into this kind of kind of work because at the end of the day we do have people that come on two three four five tours and so it becomes recurring and it's a message to say look we're always here we have four events every month come to to what you want to and and if you don't want to show up and you just want to support us financially here's an opportunity to do that as well so uh it's been a learning experience but i think that it's been uh, a program that we can send people to in many ways we can say hey go check out our membership and there's something there for you cool and and do people pay on a monthly basis and can they drop out at any time or do you pay like a one year at a time or how have you set that up? It's currently annual. So you just pay the fee upfront. A lot of the time we do like campaigns where you can, you know, register for half off and, or you get a discount or if when you register as a member, you get some kind of perk, you know, immediately. But for us, it's also helped us. The annual membership helps us, me as a business owner, kind of understand you know, what's our budget for the year and how many people are we working with and how many tours do we need to schedule and just kind of give me an understanding of what's to come. I think with a monthly membership, which I've thought about, it won't quite be the same metrics that we need for for consistency. But again, nothing is ever off the table and and we just will constantly keep uh, altering it a little bit to, to see what fits. And then the other thing I just wanted to mention too was we started growing outside of Washington DC and so the virtual component became important for us to to nurture to reach people in other cities and also to have some some recorded, you know, videos and things that would be, you know, useful for further promotion and marketing and sharing on social media and stuff like that. Cool. How many, what percentage would you say of people who attend your events are members and who are just people doing it as a one-off? Oh, that's a good question. I have to go dive through some numbers. You know, it depends on the event. It depends on the time of year. It depends. There's several factors, of course. I would say sometimes 50% or more are members, 50 to 60%. It's not rare to show up onto a tour and see at least, you know, half, I think a quarter or half of the group being uh, faces that we recognize. So, and, and then a lot of the time too, the members will bring friends, they'll bring family. So they're, they're extending our message as well to people in their own circle. So while we might not recognize the new person, they're still part of the Toho, you know, family, if you will. Yeah. That's really nice. And can I ask how much an annual membership costs without any of the discounts? Sure. Uh, at the moment, a trailblazer membership, which is our top tier is $350. And our most basic membership is $75. Oh, but you get a lot of, you get access to a lot of things with that, with that Trailblazer membership, actually, if you're local and you can attend those events, or if you're virtual and you're happy to do it virtually, it really works out well. 
Yeah, you know, there's many ways to think about it. And then I think everyone budgets and finances differently. But our individual events typically cost about $35 to the public, $30, $35. So throughout the year, you know, if you're going to attend three or four events, uh, which is quite common that people do, it makes sense to get a, a basic membership. And if you even go for the you know highest package and you break it down monthly, it's still very, it's reasonable. It's within kind of the, uh, I think it's even below kind of what other people pay. And, and right, we don't have a membership program to compare it to, I think, in tourism. But if you think about memberships in like the wellness community, like yoga and things like that, I think that we kind of were in that space, you know, but if you get out every month and you walk, that's, that's wellness, that's a commitment, that's something that you're doing, you know, not only to support us, but to kind of hold yourself accountable for going out there and, and engaging in a way that is good. It's good for everyone, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I've spent an ungodly amount of money on yoga memberships over the years. (laughs) So I think yours sounds like a really good deal. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it might be up though, so go get a membership. <laughs> yeah, that was the other thing I was going to ask: is do you is the membership available to join at any point in time, or do you have certain points in the year where you release the opportunity? Right now, it's open all the time. This is a conversation that I have with my team often. In in that, you know, if someone signs up for a membership today, we have a commitment to them for the next year. We, we now have 12 years of programming that we've promised to them. So for me, if I ever want to change the membership program, um, which I anticipate we might because, you know, at some point you, you just want to keep making it, you know, better and more realistic. You know, I would consider maybe putting it on pause just to balance out the timing and, and everything. But really what happens is people are finding us on the Internet or people come on one tour and, you know, they want to take the next step immediately. So the membership program is that that really quick follow up where they can enter and just and just, you know, just keep coming back. So uh, I, I think the discounts come like less frequently. And so people can take advantage of that. But they right now always have the opportunity to to sign up. Yeah, it's a tough one to know what's the better way to go about it. Because on one hand, like you said, you want to have it accessible to those who are interested at the moment. But I imagine logistically, it makes your life a lot harder having everyone starting their 12-month membership at a different point in time. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. (laughs) I'm curious, what are some of the other big challenges that you've, I mean, we can talk about COVID, but let's let's not talk about it too much um but what are some of the big challenges you've experienced as a business owner over the last few years you know i, I think having this platform right now in this moment I, I would i would regret if i didn't bring up this really important element of the tourism industry which is we essentially work within a gig economy and i think this this phrase gig economy is coming up more and more in in the modern world because it applies not only to tour guides but it applies to musicians and performers and servers and hospitality staff and i think that it it's it's hard to build a career that is reliable in a gig economy because you don't have the safety net and the security of health insurance or benefits or these sorts of things that we need and are quite expensive and kind of are 
encouraging, right, to, to, to workers. So I bring that up because, you know, it affects me and my team, and it's been one of the biggest challenges. For me, I was balancing being starting this business and making it operate with being an, a, an independent contractor and trying to, to, to do both because I just had to at that moment. And so this work is very seasonal. It's, it's hard to predict, you know, one, one season you're at your computer every day working on this. And then during the busy season in DC, so like cherry blossoms, think spring, all of that, your time and access is limited and you have to plan accordingly. And it's just, it takes a certain skill set of time management to be able to really balance all of that. And it's something that tour guides are impeccable at, right? You have to be, there's no one telling you show up at nine, leave at five. You build a schedule. If you double book with a company, that's on you. And that those are conversations I've had to have with my tour guides now in, you know, acknowledging these challenges and saying, okay, I know March is women's is, you know, it's women's history month. So we're going to be busy, but I also know it's student tour season. I know it's cherry blossom season. I know people are asking you to put a date on your calendar a year in advance. Mm -hmm. So how do we navigate this? And, and how do I navigate it too? Right? Like so much Mm -hmm. in tourism is, is booked a year or more out. And for a business that's young and small and growing every day, you just don't know what that looks like. So that that's also where the membership came in a little bit because we wanted a set schedule that said, this is what it's going to be. We can secure our guides for this day. We can, you know, this is our guarantee. Our membership knows it. We know it. And um, it just helps us remain, you know, active and, and try to have a, a handle on everything. But it's been the biggest challenge personally and overall is just this, the whole economy, the whole gig economy of tourism being, just inconsistent and unpredictable, but also flexible, which we all like, right? Because then we can go travel and do stuff uh, on our own time and, and not answer to anyone. But, you know, it's a, it's a trade-off. Yeah, it is tough, though. And I, I mean, massive kudos to you, because I think D.C. is one of the hardest cities. One, because it is super seasonal. I know a lot of places are seasonal, but D.C. is incredibly seasonal. And it's also extremely competitive. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of other tour guides, tour businesses out there. So, yeah, big congratulations to you and your guides for building what sounds like a fantastic business and I really I need to get back to DC (laughs) soon and I would love to go on one of your tours when I'm there hopefully try and go to one of your events because that sounds really good (laughs) but before we close out I just want to ask what do you imagine or you know what do you foresee for the future for a tour of her own where do you want this business to go in the next year two years five years you ask a lot of tough questions (laughs) I I want to to remain reputable as a source for women's history, as an advocate for public history, as a company with a social mission and purpose. You know, I I don't know if we just stay in Washington, D.C. or we go elsewhere. We did dabble with bus trips just prior to the pandemic, which were quite successful and something that is is in my toolbox personally uh, that I feel comfortable with. So we could get out of the nation's capital at some point. But at the end of the day, if you asked me this question, you know, two or three years ago, I would never have been able to answer where we are right now. Um, I think it's important that we stay flexible and we work with with whatever's in our means at the time. You know, I, I try not to get my expectations up 
too much because you just don't know the, the way that things are, are going to go. And I'm very mindful of not forcing it, not just trying to complete something because it, I had it in my mind and, and I just need to check a box. You know, I really do things that I feel like are supported and timely and just um, uh, practical. So five or 10 years, I hope to be, I am doing this full time right now, but I hope to be, for it to be like a little bit more reliable in that sense where I can not always be in DC, but I can be traveling and doing stuff like that. I hope that our team of tour guides continues to to grow and, and be leaders in our community. And I just hope to keep doing more public outreach like this, where, um, you know, people recognize the name, a tour of her own. And like you said, when they come to Washington, DC, they, they ask for us or they come to Washington, D.C. specifically to see what we're doing. So all good things. But when you think about the future, you have to just be prepared for for the obstacles that will come. And, and as long as a tour of our own can uh, survive, then I think that's probably the number one goal at this point. I think that's a great answer and a, an answer from someone who's leading a successful business. So I hope you the best in, in all of that. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you, take a, one of your tours, maybe join your membership program, where is the best place to find you? Please visit our website, www.atourofherown.com. All the information is on our website, including how to contact us, but you'll definitely want to sign up for our email list because um, we send out newsletters and such often, not too much, but often enough for you to stay in the loop. And if you are not in D.C. or you're not uh, planning on coming here soon, you can read all about D.C. Because one of the things that we did during the pandemic was we wrote a book. It's called 111 Places in Women's History That You Must Not Miss in Washington, D.C. And there are 111 stories about women in this city that will, I think, really surprise you. So those are, are two things. Website, book, and we're always available on social media, primarily Instagram and Facebook. So wherever you want to find us, we're, we're there. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I definitely need to order my copy of that book. I'm very curious to, to read about some of those stories. But thank you so much, Caitlin, for your time. I've really enjoyed this. I, I mean, like I said at the beginning, we've got a lot of friends in common. I can see us getting on very well. So it was great to get to know you a little bit more. And I wish you all the best with everything. Thank you so much for your time, for giving me this platform. Hi to all of our friends out there that know both of us. Um, that's what I love about tourism. And I think, yeah, I just look forward to following your work as well. And, and thank you for highlighting, you know, all this, this wonderful world of like tourism. It's great. Great. Thank you so much.